the number that is stuck in my teeth is that in 2019, the state of Oklahoma only graduated 500 software engineers. Mm. The whole state. And that's just not going to be enough to keep up with the flywheel, to support the types of companies that we want to recruit, that we want to build here. And, uh, and so that's my number is that by the year 2025, I want us to be consistently doubling that state output. Welcome to the latest episode of Be Atento. I am Jesse Ulrich, CEO of Brand Productions and editor of this podcast. The Be Atento podcast offers helpful tips and stories from some of today's most successful entrepreneurs and investors. And is brought to you by Atento Capital, a Telsa-based venture fund focused on driving returns through early stage venture investment in local economic development and job creation. Atento stands for helpful, careful, thoughtful, conscientious, and polite as Atento Capital seeks to embody these characteristics to all of its stakeholders. In today's episode, Sean and Aaron speak with Libby Edinger, Executive Director of Holborn Telsa. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Be Atento podcast with our good friend, the amazing, the stylistic Libby Edinger who is the executive director of Holberton, Tulsa. Libby, how are you doing today? I'm excellent. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Sean and I have been really uh, anticipating this uh, discussion. And let's just jump right into it. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the Libby Ettinger story? Sure. So I grew up about an hour from Tulsa. So I am an Oklahoma native, grew up in Stillwater, uh, go Pokes. All right now. And actually, uh, despite growing up there, I, from an early age, knew I did not want to end up at Oklahoma State. (laughs) It was too close to home. Uh, I knew I wanted to to get out, see the world, and for whatever reason, had a love of politics. And so landed for college in Washington, D.C., so I went to, to undergrad at George Washington University, studied political science, uh, did the Senate internship thing, got some time at the YMCA in their government affairs office, when a friend from freshman year of college gave me a call and said, hey, I'm working on this project. I think you'd be interested. Hmm. I know some guys up at Harvard. They've built this algorithm that maps congressional data, and it can tell you whether a member of Congress is effective at legislating, when they're bipartisan, what issue areas are they talking about on social media versus where are they actually introducing bills. Oh, wow. And we think we've got something here, but we need to go shop it around town. We need to get it in front of people. We want feedback. Does it sound interesting to you? And I was like, yeah, sure. I was still in college. I was like, this sounds like a great project. It'll tide me over till the next internship. Um, and saying yes in that, uh, that coffee shop led me to spend five years with a B2B SaaS company building, uh, out the business development and marketing operations, uh, with a bunch of friends. Nice. So I very much fell into startup land on accident. I feel like coffee shops are the go-to medium for, for startups to recruit well, talent. Well, this was like specifically the Starbucks under the college <laughs> library. Yeah, yeah. It's like really specifically. Perfect. The Gelman Library Starbucks. Right. Well, well, the business deals are made on a golf course, but in entrepreneurial space, it's a coffee <laughs> it's shop. It's a coffee shop. Yeah, there yeah. you go. All right. 
Um, and I, you know, it, saying yes to that opened up so many doors and we, the, the company is called Quorum. They're still in existence and doing very well. I got the opportunity to kind of try on all the hats that come with being at a startup. I mean, we were equal parts SDR meets sales rep meets customer success representative. Uh, There were about six six of us when I joined. Um, And it married my love of politics with this new technology. Uh, And after about five years, I realized that I wanted to take what I had learned from that experience, but go home. Grew up in Oklahoma, knew that there was such an opportunity to come back and utilize these skills. Um, I had no idea what that would look like, uh, but started to get coffees in town and, uh, and then landed where I am now. Wonderful. So that's, that's a perfect segue. So where are you now? And, and tell us a little <laughs> bit about uh, how that conversation led to you uh, leading uh, Holberton Dosa. Sure. Uh, so when I moved, I was still working remote for, for Quorum and wanted to find a way to plug into the, the tech ecosystem here in Tulsa. I should disclose that the reason I moved to Tulsa was for love. Uh, my boyfriend at the time, now, We've all been there. now We've husband, all been there. Um, was already living in Tulsa. And it's an important part of the story because in our two or two and a half years of dating long distance, I was in Tulsa like every eight weeks. Nice. So even now that's I, commitment. It, it well, yes. I like to think so. And you he go, flew. Girl. He flew as many times, uh, if not more, up to DC. I think he earned American Gold status. Nice. In that first year Bravo. of us dating, but it, it's important because I moved. I moved here full time two years ago, but really started to watch the city transform about four, almost five years ago yeah. through visiting town all the time. Uh, and so I was aware of 36 degrees North. I knew about efforts like Indigo technologies and some of the other pieces of this ecosystem that were already in play. And that was very compelling to me. But what I wasn't sure was where in that ecosystem I felt like I would fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that I had startup experience. I also knew that I was exhausted after five years. Mm. Like it was just, we bootstrapped for the full five years I was there. Uh, the company has since brought on private equity, but uh, knowing that I wanted to move to Tulsa, spend time with my partner, that like jumping right back into an early stage startup probably wasn't the next move. And so I started to think about what else in the ecosystem would be compelling. Is it venture capital? Is it... Uh, some of the incubation or acceleration that is now happening. Some of that was starting to form, but some of it, some of those conversations have only started within the last six to 12 months. And uh, thankfully I got in touch with some folks at the George Kaiser family foundation and just kind of laid out my heart, which was, I want to do something with high impact. I know that I have lots of experience to bring to the table. Uh, I want to stay in this technology ecosystem. And beyond that, I'm just excited to hear what you all are working on. And maybe there's a place that I can already plug in. Uh, and I got a call from one Michael Bosch. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, uh, he had been great connecting me to other folks and had introduced me to, to some other opportunities in town within the ecosystem. Uh, but he called me one day and was like, Hmm. So we've been having these conversations with this company out in San Francisco called Holberton School. They've got this phenomenal model where they are bringing software engineering education to more people uh, in more ways than, than perhaps a traditional university system would. They're looking at Tulsa, 
but they need someone to do it. They need someone to, to lead the charge. Would you run a school? And I was like, uh, I don't know, but I would love to talk to them. And that's where the conversation started. Wow. That would have been summer of 2019. So let's talk about like, what is Holberton School? Tell us more. So we are a software engineering school uh, and we very specifically use the word school. So we are not a boot camp, but we're also not a university. Uh, Our students are with us for a little under two years. So shorter than an associate's degree. Mm -hmm. And in that time, we teach them the fundamentals of software engineering and give them a strong foundation of technical skills, as well as try our best to build on all the soft skills and professional skills that they're going to need to be a good employee to get hired into today's workforce uh, without the entry requirements or test requirements that a university does and without the same financial barriers. Talk a little bit about the business model model of uh, Holberton. Very unique and uh I think, you know, it could be a way that universe, universities can begin to look at uh, their business model. But talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So in many ways, we've kind of invested in our students yeah. where we put up the resources to train them ahead of time. And then we actually don't collect on tuition until they've graduated. We do so through an income share agreement uh, or an ISA. So the contract that we sign with students says that we're going to deliver on our promise, which is to train you in this way and get you employed in this industry. And you're going to pay us proportionally to how well we do with that objective. And so our students pay us a fixed percentage of their income upon graduation, uh, which means if they get a job making kind of a mid-range salary, they're going to pay us here in Tulsa about 10% of their income for the first three and a half years that they work. Uh, If they make more than the mid-range income, they'll pay us a little bit more. And that allows us to be incentivized to not just give them the education, but actually truly set them up for success, not only in skills, but in introductions. Uh, The woman who leads our career development department talks about being a snowplow for students, like us clearing the road. Ultimately, they're in charge of their careers. They've got to drive the conversation. We don't get to sit in interviews on their behalf, Mm -hmm. but if we can open doors, if we can pave that road, so to speak in front of them and make it easier, uh, then perhaps they can get in the door and get a really excellent job as a software engineer. Wow. And also be an ambassador for Hoverton for other people who are following them. We hope so. And we know that part of what we're building in Tulsa is this large ecosystem around technology or technology-enabled jobs. And I look forward to the day when we have hundreds and hundreds of graduates who are coming back uh, as alumni and talking to our current student population or trying to recruit our student population. That'll be a really exciting day. Absolutely. You know, uh, a a vehicle like Holberton becomes uh, extremely valuable as we try to make this ecosystem regenerative. And if you don't have enough of a pipeline of talent that's coming in, it can easily dry up and become an oasis versus, not an oasis, but a a desert uh, rather than an oasis. I was going to say, it's just, you know, Holberton is very much a a key part of the flywheel that we're trying to build here. Absolutely. You know, and it's, it's excellent. I love the whole aspect of these alternative schools, Lambda School, Holberton, you know, I think that other big one I've heard of is Alt School, but you know, it's it's turning the traditional educational model on its head and it's democratizing access for people 
to pursue careers that they otherwise wouldn't be able to pursue because they have to pay $50,000 a year to go to a university. And next thing you know, they're hundreds of thousand dollars in debt. So, yeah. Well, and that's, that's why Holberton was set up the way it was. I think there were, there were kind of three things that our founders who at the time uh, came from Docker and LinkedIn um, had either technical roles or technical adjacent roles and were heavily involved in hiring. And some of the frustrations that they saw were the ones that you would expect as someone talks about uh, Silicon Valley and the talent pipeline. The first was diversity, that the, the group was incredibly homogenous. The second was the student debt element, which if you drill into that, it also impacts that first or second job that someone takes. Yeah, if you're yeah, trying to get yeah. them to jump off the deep end Absolutely. Yeah. into a startup. And I mean, I have to be totally transparent about my own privilege. I did not have student debt. I did not have to pay my way through college. Um, and I'm grateful to my parents for, for the sacrifices they made to get me there. But it was because of that, that in college, I didn't have to have a job and I could go off and do this startup thing and feel comfortable enough continuing to do that and not have to pause to go get internships because I thought I was going to desperately need a job upon graduation. I had a safety net. Uh, and so that element of not only who is able to access the education afforded up front or be able to get a loan. But even if you secure a loan, that locks you into the type of job that you need to take. Yep. And that's impacting who's who's able to join startups and is making an impact on those companies. Uh, and then I'll say that the kind of third element to understand about the talent pipeline and why Holberton exists the way we do is that the university system is not set up to move at the pace that technology is iterating. Yes. That's yeah. where these schools, whether it's us at Holberton or or our, our friends at Lambda School, offer an incredible asset to industry, and that's that we get to iterate faster. We can respond to the needs of the industry either nationally or here in Tulsa yeah. regionally and develop curriculum, add curriculum and projects and assignments that are going to prepare students very specifically to get them hired. Not because there's a professor that has tenure that wants to teach a specific class. Right. Yeah. And that's really powerful. Who, so tell us, tell us a little bit more, like who are the Holberton students? Are they recent high school grads or are they folks who might be working in one career field, but are like, Hey, I'm ready for a switch. I want to do something completely different. Our student body is all over the place. And I think that makes it a really wonderful environment because everyone brings something different to the table. We would classify our students into three main groups. We have career starters. They're 18 to 25. Maybe they tried college. Maybe they made it through college and started to look for a job and realized that they weren't able to get into the career field that they wanted. Uh, but some of them come right out of high school. The second group is an industry switcher. So that's actually a vast majority of our students right now. They were doing something else. And for whatever reason, whether it's financially motivated, whether it's driven by the pandemic uh, and having lost their job or seen companies downsize, they realized that they needed to switch and do something different and completely pivot the career that they were in. And then we have some students that fall into this last bucket, which are industry accelerators or career accelerators where they're already in a tech adjacent role, but it may be IT, maybe it's customer support or marketing, but they have watched or worked with software developers and say, Hey, I think I could do that. Um, maybe they're even self-taught. 
Um, and so those are kind of the three buckets. But we've enrolled students from age 18 to age 54. Wow. Wow. The average student is 30 right now. Uh, and that means when we talk about resume prep mm-hmm. for our 19-year-old student, is like fresh first time writing a resume, let's get back to the basics. Yeah. And not only can we work that through that process with them, but it means they have peers that are 10, 20 years into their profession who have written plenty of resumes and get to give that advice. So it's not just us supporting that student. They have a lot of peer support uh, and peer experience. And yet we know that regardless of professional experience that someone brings to the table before they're a student with us, there are some really key differences to getting hired as a software engineer. And that's why baked into our curriculum, we actually teach uh, the technical interview, which is very different. You're at a whiteboard with a hiring manager asking you to whiteboard out a problem. And we do some algorithm practice because that's also probably part of your interview as a software developer. I certainly know no interview I have sat in (laughs) (laughs) ever asked me to stand up at a whiteboard and explain a problem. Um, that's something that like from the second week of our curriculum, they're starting to do and starting to learn. So even though Holberton has locations around the world, correct? You in some, you know, for all intents and purposes, kind of like a founder, uh, especially for the Tulsa one, right? This is the time for you to kind of pop your collar a little bit and just talk, <laughs> just, just, you know, tell us a little bit about the success you've had since 2019 and how you were able to take this concept and not just planted in Tulsa, but then the the field, the harvest that has come from it, and then where you're taking it in terms of the expansion and all of that. Talk a little bit about that. I would say that I can't take full credit because I think that the town was so ripe for what we offer that, I mean, our first recruiting cycle was people begging to start school with us. They had already been looking for an opportunity like this. Many of our early students had been teaching themselves to code and were looking for something. Uh, And I think a a really compelling part of our offering is our physical campus, which obviously has been turned upside down over the last year. and, And we're operating in sort of a hybrid model right now. But being able to look at a student and tell them we've got a physical space with these awesome computers and whiteboards galore come learn here was a really easy sell in those early days. And our first cohort that we launched with was about 40 students who, um, as I was taking a leap of faith here in Tulsa, they were very much part of that leap Mm -hmm. with me. They believed in what we could accomplish. And thankfully the curriculum that we built at Holberton is very similar across all of our locations. And so I was able to point to successes around the world and say, look, this content that was developed in Silicon Valley has been tested and run by industry, has been validated by industry in Tulsa. It works. Mm-hmm. And we're going to come deploy it here. And so that was really key to us first getting off the ground and launching. I will also say that something Tulsa did uh, that some of our other campuses haven't leveraged is that we offer living assistance. So that was something that as we were looking to open the school in Tulsa, the George Kaiser family foundation and the Schusterman family foundation came alongside us and said, if someone really is coming from a, I say quote, non-traditional background. And by, by that, I mean, probably non-traditional for a university setting, 
they can't afford or for whatever reason the university path is not right for them, they probably have a financial element to that. And so how can we come alongside these students financially while they're in school? And so we actually launched a living assistance program. So our our students who are eligible uh, get $1,500 a month in need-based living assistance. Wow. It's run as a zero-interest loan. So basically, here's here's the money. Use it while you're in school. Use it to get up and off the ground. and You pay it back once you're in a successful career as a software engineer. Wow. Unless that student stays in Tulsa upon graduation. And if they stick around in Tulsa, invest in this tech community, we waive repayment on the loan. Amazing. Wow. Which is just... That's huge. That's awesome. Such a big weight off the shoulders of those early students and of, our, of most of our student population to say, let this be one less worry. Let this be one less thing you have to figure out. Have your education be your primary focus. And so it's because of some of those elements coming together and being in the right time at the right place that I think we've had such great success early on, which leads me to, to where we're headed. Yes. The number that is stuck in my teeth is that in 2019, the state of Oklahoma only graduated 500 software engineers. Mm. The whole state. And that's just not going to be enough to keep up with the flywheel, yeah. to support the types of companies that we want to recruit, that we want to build here. And, uh, and so that's my number, is that by the year 2025, I want us to be consistently doubling that state output. So we're at about 100 students now. Uh, we're on track this time next year to be about 200 students a year. Uh, and I want to get us to 500 students. And that's, to me, that's what we're driving towards, is bringing in as many Tulsans or bringing people to town to become students, to then become Tulsans permanently. Nice. To start their careers here in Tulsa as software engineers and have significant impact on the talent pipeline. You made a pretty big announcement this week, we or did. was it last week? I think it was this week, right? Time is a construct. Uh, yeah, time is yeah, a construct. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what that announcement was. So in our effort going into our second year to double down on the city, we're actually doubling our, our physical square footage. So we've got a building downtown in the arts district. For those that are Tolsons, we are uh, we are right behind Welltown Brewing. And we have an empty lot next to us, and we're going to expand. So we'll be building another 18,000 square feet. And is that all classroom space, or is that going to be... Any plans for dormitories or things like that? The space will be multi-purpose, mm -hmm. so um, pods for collaboration, lots of whiteboards and the kind of uh, computers and space that you would picture when you think of a software engineering school. But we're really intentionally building space to bring outside folks in. So a couple more conference rooms than perhaps our students would need so that groups like uh, the Urban Coders Guild, who work with uh, young students in Tulsa. Mikhail. Mikhail Vaughn. Mikhail, yeah, yeah. To teach. Yep. To teach yeah high school and middle school students how to code or yeah. groups like um, the Girl Scouts. Like how do we bring them into our space, yeah. get young people excited about what we're doing, um, including a rooftop deck, which I'm very Look at that. Yeah. I, know where I'm, yeah. I know where I'm working for the rest of the year. Here we go. Yeah. My, our space is open. Um, but that's, I mean, that's the goal. Like, how do we. Now, don't, don't tease us with a good time <laughs> yeah, now. Don't, Come don't on. Tell me with a good time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be so cool if we had, a day a month with co-working so that any software engineer 
who may or may not someday need to hire yeah. Halberton graduates. Yeah. Wow. Come hang out in the space and answer questions and get to work alongside students. Nice. I think when we think about the power of Tulsa, the city, I mean, truly geographically, is, is a lot more dense than people expect yeah. when they first visit. It's true. And so having the capacity to bring people together physically is something that we should be doing, something that should be a goal of ours as, as a school. Because it's not just connecting students to people, to companies, to opportunities. It's also getting our students bought in on this vision of where yeah. Tulsa is headed. Because yeah. I want them to want to stay. Yeah. And not go to Kansas City and not go to Dallas or Austin. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. But yeah. <laughs> we want to keep them here. And, you know, we can build those incentives into the financial package, into the living assistance model. Yeah. But to really keep someone here, ground someone here, we need to expose them to what's happening. Absolutely. And I think our students have a front row seat to be part of what, what we're building here in Tulsa. Yeah. The, um, so a large part of your role, you know, I feel like is very much working with a lot of community partners here. Can you sort of talk about how Holberton sort of interacts with some of the community partners here and maybe how some of the other community partners here, the GKFF, the Schusterman Foundation, how you're all sort of working together and talk about that sort of alignment across organizations about, you know, getting that flywheel up and running. Yeah. At Holberton, it's almost as if we have two sales cycles. Our first sales cycle is to a potential student. Mm -hmm. And so in that capacity, it's my job and my team's job to go meet the Girl Scouts, work with the Tulsa Dream Center, find groups in town or communities of people that might be interested in becoming students or that we may be able to get excited about the STEM field. Uh, and in that way, we're working with a lot of different community partners. The second part of that sales cycle is when a student's about to graduate. And so in that first iteration, we're selling students the curriculum as the product. Mm -hmm. And in the second sales cycle, it is almost as if our students become the product of the school. Yep. They become this product that we're excited about, mm -hmm. that we know not only what we taught them while they were in school, but with our first batch of graduates coming in September of 2021, I can tell you the background of all of those individuals. I know where they were working ahead of time. I know what excites them, what industries they want to go into. So that when I go out and talk to a new startup that's considering moving to town or some of the big companies here that have a, a significant footprint and hire quite a few software engineers, the, some of the ones that come to mind are, are Flight Safety, Bank of Oklahoma, Quick Trip even mm -hmm. has yeah. a pretty strong software engineering team yeah. that when I talk to them, I can be like, oh, actually, I know two or three of our students who I think would be a really good fit for what you all are accomplishing, for what they want in their first career or their first job. And it's really my, my job to be that connector. And so we have to also work with hiring partners. We have to work with with venture and with the, uh, the kind of other elements of this entrepreneurial ecosystem to, to understand what companies are here, when are they hiring, what do they need in junior talent, uh, and continue to not only connect our students, but think about that curriculum piece too. How do we iterate on the curriculum we currently have so that we're adapting to what Tulsa industry needs from our community? The ecosystem here in Tulsa, as you said, you know, 500 software tech people in the state. That was the number. But the ecosystem here in Tulsa has become electric. As you were 
going back and forth through your dating cycle <laughs> and then made the conversion to come here. And now you're married and, and you know, congratulations on that. Thank you. Talk a little bit about how the the expectation and the energy level of the city has picked up over that dating cycle to right now. Like this has to be over the last four years, a complete 180 of what it was, you know, before I shouldn't say 180, but you, you get what I'm getting at. So I, I want you to just talk a little bit about the energy, how infectious and, 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 you know, impactful it is. Yeah. I will say to the credit of Tulsa, I think this has always been an entrepreneurial community. Yeah. The Creek nation that existed here, um, was heavily reliant on trading, there was then the early settlers, white settlers, I should say, who moved over was part of Manifest Destiny. Yeah. The reason they landed here was because this was the bend in the Arkansas River that you could get cattle across. Mm-hmm. This is entrepreneurial minded decision. And then you have the oil boom right. and then, you know, so on and so forth. So I think entrepreneurship sort of runs through the veins of the city. Mm-hmm. And when I moved here or started looking at Tulsa, Many of the partners were, were still looking at entrepreneurship through a pretty wide lens or maybe painting it with a really wide brush because entrepreneurship is a lot of things. Yeah. It's Main Street businesses, it's food businesses, yeah. and all of those things are critical to a community. Mm-hmm. But those are different than a you know high growth, venture-backed SaaS company. Right. And um, the fact of the matter is that that latter example kind of high growth venture backed company. So it generates wealth. And for a community like ours, I think it's important that we place an emphasis. And I think that's probably the pivot is saying what having a handful of those companies have exits Mm -hmm. would do for our community would invest wealth, inject wealth, would mean more mom and pop shops, would mean more food businesses, would mean more venture backed startups. Yes. And so I think there's this like honing in mm-hmm. on what we need to accomplish mm-hmm. and there will be a ripple effect if we get that right yeah. on the rest of community and on the rest of this broader entrepreneurship idea. Yeah. And I think that's, that to me is the biggest change. And it's almost like in a larger city or a larger ecosystem, this idea of turning a large ship mm-hmm. just takes a lot more time. And because we are still so early in building out the ecosystem, we could move everyone a little bit faster. So it's like the alignment didn't take nearly as long to get on the same page to say, okay, the venture players, the ph- philanthropic players, the other educational institutions, which I should note, there are phenomenal education partners in this city. Uh, and I've had a a blast getting to know the folks at OSU Tulsa and OU Tulsa and TCC and getting to work with their, their leadership on Holberton can't be everything for everyone. We've got a really narrow alignment Mm -hmm. on what we're trying to accomplish. And so how do we all work together to help get people into these high paying jobs, get people into these high growth startups? To me, that's where the energy is really set in. And if you've never been to Tulsa, here's my pitch. You got to visit because it doesn't take more than a day, <clears throat> maybe two days mm-hmm. to feel it. I mean, the energy in the city is palpable. Yes. And you feel it from talking to each person and hearing the passion that they have. 
that's a benefit to being in a community of this size, that if you show up and you're eager and you're dedicated and you're willing to put in a little bit of hustle, you can get a lot done. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of people willing to show up to that table right now. Nice. Yeah. Switching gears for a second. You actually touched on this earlier, but you know, software engineering and tech as a whole is a very homogenous career field. It's, it's very white male dominated. So can you sort of touch on, you know, what it's like being a woman in the industry and sort of how you can see Holberton potentially, you know, being a way to get more underrepresented folks and, uh, you know, females into software engineering and, and tech as a whole? Yeah. I mean, I could share like the tropes about being the only woman in the room, which happens pretty regularly, probably more so in Tulsa than when I lived in DC, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. But I think that's the role that we can play as a school in having less barriers to entry is going into particular communities, whether it's groups of women, whether it's communities of color, really specifically to Tulsa, the school is six blocks from Black Wall Street. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's a proximity that we take really seriously. We're also on native land. And so how do we plug in with tribal leadership. And that's something that we're still trying to wrap our arms around and figure out how do we work with existing community structures with existing partners to reach folks to say, Hey, we've basically picked up this piece of Silicon Valley. We brought it to Tulsa. And if we're able to get that right, then how we build this ecosystem as a city can look a lot different than a place like Silicon Valley. On the on the female front, we're about 30% women in our student population, which for me is not enough, but blows Silicon Valley out of the water. <laughs> so it's a good starting Absolutely. point. We got to keep blowing Silicon Valley out of the water. I'm happy yeah. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. 2030, where do you see Holberton first? And then where do you see Libby? Mm, wow. I'm going to answer the first part because that's easier. Okay. <laughs> I mean, for the school, I envision us being a pillar in this ecosystem, not just for Tulsa, but for our region, that we want to consistently be serving a student population who is getting the quality of curriculum that someone might pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to get, and they're not having to do that. And they get to either come to this wonderful community or they get to stay. They don't have to leave to get this education. And we want to be a pillar, uh, an educational pillar in the community that's serving students, that's serving businesses as we start to, to really be a formidable technology economy. And then for myself, (laughs) um, I don't know. I'm obviously passionate about this place. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm passionate about the coasts, not having a monopoly on opportunity. Yeah. And I think if that's something that I can continue to make impact on building opportunity and access for people, uh, so that they don't have to leave because that's part of my story. I did leave. I, I got out of Dodge, so to speak. And if you would have told 18 year old Libby that she would be back in Tulsa running a school, much less, mm-hmm. uh, I would have laughed. And yet I, really think that this is the dream job and I get to be part of a community that's, that's remarkable and is setting out to do an incredibly ambitious and difficult thing. Um, and yet 
we have all of the odds in our favor and all of the puzzle pieces aligning now. Um, and I'm going to be here for a really long time trying to make that happen. Has there been any sort of big challenges in terms of trying to find folks who want to go to Holberton or attend schools like this? How are you sort of mitigating those challenges? And, you know, the other thing that sort of comes to mind is how are you also providing mentorship to some of these students as well and showing them like, hey, this is what success could potentially look like if you were to stick through this? That's a great question. On the challenges front, there are no shortage of them. <laughs> uh, there's definitely the challenges on on communicating our message and trying to get people in the door. I think when you outline our whether it's our financing or our living assistance or kind of all the elements, we sometimes get met with, this seems too good to be true. Yeah. What's the catch? What's the hook? Because we know there is one in most university settings. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of the first place we have to start. And thankfully, we now have the student population who we can have talk to applicants, we can have answer, answer questions and say like, hey, they're, they're legit, basically. Yeah. But I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the challenges that our student population faces. And we spend as a staff a lot of time with students. Some of it's technical, right? Bringing in novices means that our students, some of them have never written a line of code before they go through our application process, helping them understand complex problems, helping them have the confidence in the answers that they're giving is super important yeah. uh, and is a lot of what we spend time talking to our students about. But also there's a ton of external factors that impact a student, their finances, their family, their childcare all impact them when they show up. And uh, we are very transparent that, that Holberton is hard. We're a rigorous school. We embrace grit and we embrace the challenge because we know that that, that produces good fruit and that produces a really, really talented employee because it's someone who in the workforce meets a challenge and is willing to go to bat and understand and dig until they find a solution. And that's something that you know, we've done in the way that we've built our curriculum. Uh, the, the best example of that is that we don't have teaching staff. There is no lecture hall at Holberton. There's no classroom where you sit and listen to an example of how to solve a problem and then you go solve the problem. We show up and give our students the problem first. We say, here's a list of challenges. Here's a list of tasks. And we give them a learning framework that helps them build this muscle of problem solving. And that framework starts with ask yourself, why, why am I being asked to do this, mm -hmm. this particular way, read the, read it again, put it up on a whiteboard or on a piece of paper, then try it, plug it into your terminal, read the error message when you get something wrong. And then the next steps go to Google Yep. in a college environment, Googling something is cheating. In the real world, it's called being resourceful. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank like, you so much. Gosh, why aren't we teaching that? Because yeah. telling someone to go to Google is hard. Yeah. Right? right. The first time you like hit a challenge and you're trying to, I mean, our students are about to start their shell. They're about to start their shell project, and they're basically deconstructing and then rebuilding a program from mm. scratch. And you can't just be like, okay, how do I do shell? Like that wouldn't work in right. Google. Mm -hmm. And so helping them build that muscle of self-discovery is so important for their ability to be successful in the workplace. 
And after they do that, they're encouraged to go to peers, ask your peers what they're doing, what's working, what's not yeah. working. Because again, that's the, you'd go to Google mm-hmm. in, in the workforce and then you turn to your desk mate and be yeah. like, Hey, yeah. Can you help me with this? Dude, I'm stuck. Yeah. I need help. Right. And, uh, and that's something that we want to encourage. Yeah. But that is also not a model that's good for everyone mm-hmm. in the same way that a lecture hall environment is not the right fit for every person. Right. And so that's something that, that we really try and be clear about in our admissions process that we're clear about in our first 30 days while students still have an opportunity to, to bow out if it's not a good fit for them. And those challenges are not insurmountable, but they're also not small. Yeah. It isn't, I mean, isn't that life? And maybe that's like super cliche for me to say, yeah. but it's important that we encourage students to live up to those challenges and to embrace those challenges because it's going to be every bit as difficult when they enter the workforce as well. Uh, and so that, that's what gives me a lot of confidence in our grads is because they've been through this for 20 months yeah. of figuring out problems, digging in, having to find the solutions, working with other people to find solutions. And um, they're only going to go replicate that when they get into a job. I love how you're just giving them the, the power to ask for help. Mm-hmm. If you are not willing to ask for help at Holberton, you will fail our school. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's as simple as that. And that is a hard habit to break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether it's because you're nervous or you feel like the, the peers around you are further ahead than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe because you're prideful and yeah. feel like you've got the answers, um, for whatever, yeah. for whatever reason. It's, and it's gotta be tough for folks who, who don't come from professional backgrounds where they may have been working in a very highly collaborative environment. Mm-hmm. And now they're coming into a place where it's very collaborative and it's okay to ask your peer for help on something or for an answer on something. And it's like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be just like a, a wild change of pace and attitude for them. It totally is. And I'm so grateful to now be up and running. I think our first cohort was the scariest because, <laughs> um, well, for many reasons, but also because you don't have peers further along in the program right, to yeah. point to, or to like validate the, that nervous feeling. And now, um, I have to give a huge shout out to our student tutors who are further along in the program who take time and energy away from their own coursework to come back and help those newest students and they give the best pep talks because they're like, I was in your shoes. I was nervous as all be. And yet here we are. I made it. I'm like 10 months ahead of where you are, 12 months ahead of where you are. Like you can also do this. Yeah. It's okay to be nervous. It's okay to be scared to ask for help. Just like take that leap of faith. Yeah. And once you do it, each time after that gets a little bit easier to the point that it becomes second nature. And that's, that's the goal. Tell us something that Libby would have wanted to share with Libby 10 years ago. What is something that you wish you would have known 10 years ago and you know now, and how would you have applied it? There's a lot of ways I could answer that question. I think in the context of what I'm doing now, 10 years ago, Everything I was trying to do was about leaving, like study for the ACT and SAT, get into the best school I can get into because like I need to get out and I need Mm. to see the world and I need to, you know, I need to go meet people. And there's an element of that that's still true. I met incredible people in my time living in Washington, D.C., and I have great friends from that period of my life that will be my biggest champions and supporters um, in whatever I do professionally and personally. But looking back, the 
people I grew up around, the friendliness in Oklahoma, uh, the kind of grit that exists here, I think is an incredible asset that, um, that I have as an individual and that we have as a community. And I wish that I had recognized the power of that um, in a way that I, I think that I feel now choosing to come back. Um, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's that I felt born into this place instead of a New York or a yeah. Bay Area. And now I think that that's my biggest asset as getting to have grown up here with these people who care so deeply, love very deeply. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's an honor for my path to have ended back up here. I feel very fortunate that these odd series of events has led me back to Oklahoma. Um, and now I don't intend to leave. <laughs> right. Well, it, well, first of all, you owe your, your husband a big thank you for oh, yes. uh, bringing Shout out to Tim. Yeah. There you go. Shout Tim. Out to him. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. But that's the one part that I think is powerful. The other part that is, I think is powerful is the fact that, you know, you said 10 years ago, your, your whole mission in life was to get out. Like that's all you could see. And now you're where you are in life. You're like, come and visit, come and stay. Now you're welcoming people back here Mm -hmm. or to here. And what a turn of events. Like, but sometimes you have to go out in order to understand what's at home. Yeah. And, and the messaging in that is really powerful. Even as you, I don't know how much you interact uh, or interface with Tulsa Remote and these other programs, uh, you know, even in finding your 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 mate, your your, your life partner, right, and being able to uh, do the long distance thing and make that all come full circle. Like the messaging in that, you are living what Tulsa is selling. Come here, build a life, and you'll welcome others to be here. Definitely, and that's that's kind of the tenor of your life, of the school, of the city. And it, it is really powerful how that boomerang effect kind of has become infectious. Mm-hmm. And, and and when you go around town and you talk to so many people and you hear the same story. I would like to formally volunteer myself as chair of the boomerang committee. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's a group of us, especially when, when I talk to folks part, that are part of Tulsa Remote. Yeah. Um, that have never heard of Tulsa yeah. or, you know, Tulsa remote was the first time they'd even considered coming to the heartland. Yep. Um, but I, every once in a while I find a few folks who are like, well, you know, I, I grew up here and I'm right. like, yes. Yeah. And you came back. Yeah. So yeah, that's my message. Yep. There's always time to come back. Wow. Libby, thank you so much for this time. You, it has been absolutely wonderful. And uh, we look forward to all the wonderful things that you are doing. Holberton is doing. Uh, and you have our full support. Well, thank you. It's been so fun to be here. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell folks to go to HolbertonTulsa.com. There you go. Check us out. See what we're up to. And give us a holler if you're interested. Absolutely. And a big thank you to Jesse and Dean Ray, our podcast producers. Yes. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Be Attento podcast. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. Make sure to subscribe or follow and to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow Attento Capital across all social media platforms. And we look forward to speaking with you all again on the next episode of Be Attento. Be Attento.